Well, good morning, everyone. And uh, I know most of you don't care about this, but just to make you aware in case, tomorrow I'm getting hearing aids. So when you walk by and say hi and I ignore you, you know, then I really will be. But, uh, <laughs> but you got to be careful. Now I'll be able to hear the things you're saying. Um, open your Bibles along with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11, we'll be starting with verse 1. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how we thank you for your word because it is alive and active and sharper than any, every, any double-edged sword and it's able to um, show us even the thoughts and intents of our heart to divide between them. And Lord, your word is also a lamp. It's also our comfort. It's also the truth. And so I pray as we break open your word this morning, your Holy Spirit would use it to speak to our heart and to encourage us that we might walk in all of your ways and use the times in which we live to be your witnesses in the world. There's so many people, Father, that don't know you, and you have given this responsibility to us to go out and to make disciples of all nations, all peoples, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things. And so, Lord, I ask that you would use me to minister your word to these, your precious people, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You know, last night I was watching Amir Safadi. He put an update on yesterday, and it was very interesting. He felt like the Lord was, was speaking to him. And those of you who, who don't know who Amir is, he's the director of uh, Behold Israel. It's a website you can go to. And he's also been our guide when we go to Israel. He um, is the third generation born in Israel, and when he was 17, he came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's a great brother. But he was sharing a point that was very, very, very interesting. And he said he feels like for the, at least the first time in many, many years, you have the economic elite of the world, the political environment, and the journalistic environment where we get our news from and so forth, right in alignment. And the thing we have to understand as believers, this shouldn't surprise us. Because we know the end of the story. We know the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation makes it very clear that in the end days, we're not going to have, you know, a great democracy, independent nations all over the world. There is going to be a one-world government. There is going to be a socialistic one-world type of, of uh, policy that goes throughout the world. So we shouldn't be surprised at this. But the Bible is also very clear that when the rapture occurs, when his children are taken out of this world, that at that moment, God's wrath is going to be poured out. And so for you and I, it's a time of encouragement that before God's wrath is poured out, we're going to be gone. But it's also an encouragement to us to share our faith. There's no greater responsibility that each one of us has today than being his witnesses. We don't know when the Lord's going to rapture us out. And there are many people that we share with who think we're crazy, who have no desire to, to seek after Christ. But after the rapture occurs, their eyes are going to be opened, and they're going to be thinking, wow, this lunatic was right. <laughs> and I've shared this with you many times. I believe the greatest um, re uh, revival we've ever seen in the world will happen after the rapture. 
And there's scripture that indicates that to be true. So you and I are the seed sowers to get that seed out right now. Take every opportunity. You have nothing to lose. This world is, is going to fall apart. And so we need to be prepared by doing his work. You know, it's interesting, in this portion in, in Deuteronomy, uh, it's going to point out, we'll get into it, that there are things that God tolerates in our youth and in our ignorance. And not only just necessarily our physical youth, but, but even you know, our youth as new Christians. There are certain things that he tolerates that he will discipline as we get older and more mature in him. And discipline never feels good at the moment, but it works a harvest of righteousness in those who are trained by it. So discipline's a good thing. And, uh, you know, I, I remember hearing the story about a, a brand new believer, and uh, he was getting being baptized as a new believer, and, and uh, he was standing in the baptistry. We have the swimming pool, and and, of course, he was given an opportunity to share something. And he said, yeah, he said, I was so nervous, get, you know, getting baptized, but before I came here, I had a couple stiff belts. <laughs> well, you see, he's a brand-new believer. You understand what I'm saying? So there's certain things that the Lord, you know, tolerates in our, our youth and our ignorance. But as we grow on into maturity in the Lord, he will discipline us for disobedience. Because he loves us. It's also interesting, and um, there are two Hebrew words for the people of Israel. There are the olim. The olim are those, the, the word olim means to go up in the Hebrew. And the, that would be those who go up and live in Israel. And then the other word is the yaradim. And the yaradim in the Hebrew means to go down. And that would be those that leave Israel. So, in the spiritual sense, what it means is for you and I as the olim, we're the ones going up, seeking God. That's where we need to be in the times we're living. We don't want, want to be the yardim who are going down, who are moving away from the Lord because of the times we're living in. You follow what I'm saying? We can have one of two responses to everything that's going on. Seek hard after the Lord or kind of isolate ourselves and go away from the teachings of the Lord. So this is an amazing portion of Scripture in Deuteronomy 11, starting with verse 1. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments. You know, we look at those words and we think, well, they all mean the same thing. Do a study. These are the kinds of things you can do independently on your own that are so rewarding. Do a little study because they're not the same because they're listed differently. His charge his statutes, his judgments, and his commands. Always, commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children, and we'll talk about what this means in a moment, who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, what he did to the army of Egypt, to those horses and those chariots, and uh, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. What he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place where they're ready to cross over. 
and what he did to Dathan and uh, Abiram and the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, and how the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all their substances that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord, which he did. So, once again, we see right at the beginning of this portion is that we're always encouraged to love the Lord. Love the Lord. Because love can only be expressed by obedience, as obedience is our statement of faith. You know, it's easy to use words, I love you, I love this, I love... Well, love is just an empty word unless it is accompanied with some kind of obedience. And love must be expressed, and the expression of love is faithfulness. And faithfulness can only be known by having standards to keep. Like, how can you say, well, I love the Lord and I'm faithful to him? Well, what do you mean? What does that mean to you? What do you do? What do you not do? See, there has to be standards. And God lays out in his word the standards by which you and I are to live. And his standards are always for our good. There's never anyone who, who would be following the ways of the Lord that would say, man, life really stinks. But there are many people who might have all the material possessions this world has to offer, but they're not following the Lord, and for them, life really is horrible. And so we have to understand our true reward is in following the Lord. And, um, you know, we, we see this expression of love by having standards to, to keep, by promises to keep, even in the marriage vows, right? I promise too. Why do we make that promise to a certain individual? Because we love them. And we want to express our faithfulness to him. And the same thing is true in our relationship with the Lord. We can only love him because he first loved us. You and I, with this human frame that we have, we're, we're incapable of fully understanding the love that he expressed towards us. We really can't. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The love that God expresses is absolutely amazing. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, if you're taking notes, and I'm going to read verses 15 through 18 of the Gospel of John, chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. I mean, how much plainer could it be? And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper... And in your Bible, that's a capital H, is talking about the Holy Spirit, that he, capital H, may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, but it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So the world can't see the working of the Holy Spirit. You know, we might be talking to other believers and say, we might say to them, can't you see? Don't you understand? No, they don't see and they don't understand. Because to them, our decisions and the way we're operating, our, our modus operandum in this world is so different than theirs. Theirs is all based on the flesh and seeking the things of the world. And all of a sudden, we're trying to bring truth to their heart and to their life, saying there are things that are of greater value than the material possessions of this world. And those are the things of God. You know, 
this is telling us the expression of our love would be impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. You know, in the flesh, we're helpless. You don't ever want to be found in the flesh with the influence of the world and Satan all over you because you have no strength and you have no power. But in the Holy Spirit, this is the victory that has overcome the world. In the Holy Spirit, we can have victory. Now, I love what it tells us in 1 John 5, 4, and this is the victory, I just shared this, that has overcome the world, our faith. What is the victory that overcomes this world? Our faith. <clears throat> no matter what's going on, you know, let's be honest. For most of us, there are a lot of times every day where we feel, you know, all the junk and weight and everything of the world. And this world wants to squish us down to absolute despair. But by the Holy Spirit, that despair can be broken away and we can have the light of hope in Jesus Christ. See, one thing I know is Jesus Christ is coming back for his church before his tribulation begins on the earth. He's not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. Jesus Christ came for his bride, comes for his bride before his wrath is poured out on the earth. He has not appointed us unto wrath, but to eternal life. And so with everything that's going on, we need to build ourselves up and encourage ourselves in the hope we have in the Lord. He's coming. It's real. It's not just something we read about in the pages of, the, of this book. It is real. You were destined for eternal life. I mean, the, the immaterial part of us, you know, our body, and our, you know what I'm saying, is, is, is decaying. Outwardly, we are decaying day by day. And those of us who are getting older, we know what it's like to get in the mirror, in front of the mirror, right? You know, there's nothing worse than to be my age and getting out of the bathtub when there's a big mirror in front of you. And it's like, ah! <laughs> you know, you make your muscle and you have all the wrinkled skin. Anyway, the point, the point I'm making is this. We're decaying outwardly. And so if this was our only hope... How frustrating would it be? You know, when your social calendar is filled up with doctor schedules, doctor's appointments, how discouraging would that be if we didn't have hope beyond this life? And we do. And the fact is, 1 Corinthians 15 makes it very clear that we're not going to go to heaven with these bodies, thankfully. If there's a physical body, there's also a spiritual body, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. The, spiritual, or the physical comes first and then the spiritual. What is a spiritual body going to be like? I don't know, but we will, we will know and be known. You're still going to have your soul and spirit, your personality. You're still going to be you, your self-identity. You're not going to get to heaven and say, who am I? Who are you? Well, we're just all going to nirvana together. You know, <clears throat> That's a bunch of baloney. When we get to heaven, we'll know who we are. We'll know who others are. And we will know the Lord. And I, I was joking the other day, and I, I said, can you imagine when we get to heaven, you know, probably one day we'll say, hey, you know what, why don't we just praise the Lord all day? And then the next day we'll say, hey, you know what, why don't we praise the Lord all day? And then the, you get my point. There's nothing greater for us to experience than being in those times that we're really praising the Lord. 
We've had those times during our time of singing. We've had those times when we're studying the Word. You've had those times personally where you just feel in communion and worship of the Lord and you say to yourself, oh, I, I, wish I, could ne- I wish I'd never had to move from this place. One day you never will have to. How amazing is that going to be? <clears throat> okay. Now, <clears throat> the expression of love, as I was talking about, is impossible without the Holy Spirit. And therefore, you and I have to really be seeking the Lord that we don't walk on a daily basis just in the flesh. The flesh is powerful. <clears throat> the flesh is mighty. The flesh desires to be satisfied. You know, think about this. Think about the motivation it takes to get alone and spend time with the Lord, you know, reading your Bible and in prayer, compared to the motivation that it takes to go to the refrigerator and get out chocolate peanut butter ice cream and put peanut butter syrup over it and whipped cream and Reese's Pieces and break up... You you understand the point I'm making. That motivation comes real quick and real easy. But it takes more motivation and more faith and more discipline on our part to seek after the Lord, to spend time with Him. And it's interesting, too, because in this point, in this portion, you probably were wondering, who's the Lord speaking to here? Because he said, I'm not speaking to your children. Well, there are three groups of people in the wilderness, okay? The first group of people in the wilderness were those who were of fighting age, who refused to go into the land of promise. That group, God said, you'll never enter in. That happened at the very beginning of their wilderness journey. 40 years earlier. And so God said, you're not going to enter in. So that group's dead. How do we know? They're ready to enter in. Except for Joshua and Caleb, that group's dead. So the next group would be those who were born in Egypt and were up to 20 years of age, you know, who were teenagers and so forth. They saw what God did, and they also saw the rebellion of their fathers. So he's giving them a strict warning. And he said, I'm not speaking to your children. These are the ones that were actually born in the wilderness. They never saw Egyptian captivity. They didn't experience or see the rebellion. Okay? So he wasn't really speaking to them, although his commands are for everyone. But very specifically, he was speaking to those. He said, you saw my judgment. You saw my mighty hand, how it worked in freeing you, and my judgment in your disobedience. So keep your focus on me. And I believe one of the reasons would be is because as they went into the land, they probably would be the leaders. Now, those that were born in the wilderness could be up to 39 years of age. It's weird to think about, isn't it? Now, let me move to my next page here. In In this, I see a real encouragement, and I'll tell you what the encouragement is. Those that did not rebel in the wilderness, that were 20 and younger, who were not a fighting age, God forgave them. They were entering into the land. He gave them some discipline and you know, through this travel and so forth, but God forgave them. They were going to enter in. And I see that as encouraging to us because God forgives us. But one of the things that is a necessary requirement for forgiveness is acknowledgement of sin. 
we have to acknowledge our sin. If we confess our sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive us. Well, confession isn't just saying, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus, I'm sorry, God, forgive me for all. No, no, no. Lord, I'm sorry. I really confess what I did was wrong. Forgive me. And he will forgive us. And so we have to be willing to have that attitude of, of tenderness and humbleness before the Lord to be willing to admit all things that we have done that, um, you know, that are displeasing to him. Because forgiveness is what makes us eligible to be, tar- to be participants in what God is going to accomplish in all of his purposes. You know, God has a purpose for every one of you. Every single one of you. He has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for you. But you have to be tender before the Lord for that purpose to be useful to him. You know, in Psalm 84, 11, it says, No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So God has promised good things for those who walk after him, who walk uprightly. That's a promise. You know, you want to know how to find peace and joy in this world? It's very simple. Obey the word of God, and you will have peace. You know, we read about this whole account with uh, uh, Dathan and uh, um, Abiram and Eliab, the sons of Reuben. And you're thinking, what was that all about? You know, it just kind of mentions it here. If you take notes, write down Numbers chapter 16, starting with verse 23. You're going to read that whole account. And what it was is these families rebelled against the Lord. They rebelled against Moses. And they said, you brought us out here, or they actually accused God. God brought us out here to destroy us in the wilderness, and, and you, you know, we're not going to follow you. Who made you the leader and this and that? And uh, so in that portion of Scripture, you know, the Lord speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to the people, and he said, if God has not spoken to me, Moses, as being the leader, the one leading you through the land, then every one of you who are rebelling against God, let them let you die natural, of natural causes. But if the Lord has spoken to me, then may the earth open up and swallow every one of you and all your possessions. And then Moses gave a warning. Step away from these people, those of you who believe and a bunch did step away. But you have, you know, uh, Dathan, uh, Abiram, and Eliab, and the sons of Reuben. They went down. The earth literally opened up and swallowed them. I don't know about you, but I think that would have kind of freaked me out. You know, like, whoa. <laughs> and um, so the Lord, we have to understand gives us, in this instance, the consequence as an example of the consequence of rebellion. Now, there's a huge difference between um, rebellion and disobedience because every one of us falls to disobedience. Every one of us falls to disobedience. And God is patient, wishing for none of us to perish, and when we confess, he forgives us, and his love is restored to us in full measure. But rebellion is a different thing. Rebellion is is when you say, I hate you, Lord. I hate what you've done for me. I'm turning against you. I want nothing to do with you. Well, then the earth opened up and swallowed them. Very serious consequences. 
Verse 8, therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you crossed over to possess, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give, you, to give your fathers to them and their descendants, and a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go, uh, which you go in to possess, now pay attention to this part, I'm going to share some detail on it in a moment. It's very important. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden, but the land which you crossed over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the years to the very end of years. <clears throat> we find in this portion um, the reality of survival. What is necessary for survival is not a strong military army or even a strong military plan. It's obedience to the Lord. It's following his commands. Obedience to the Lord is what allows the Holy Spirit to work through us. And if the Holy Spirit is working through us, who can be against us? I love what it tells us if you take notes in Zechariah 4.6. It says this, For the, the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So it's not might, it's not power. It's by the spirit of the Lord. And so often we spend so much time making our plans and building up our arsenals that we don't take time to simply be with the Lord. I couldn't tell you over the years how many times I figured something out. How many times that I made all these plans and figured it out and did all this research and everything just goes awry. But I can also think of those times that the Lord just worked and there was such a blessing. And so we have to realize that one of the people to, that can get between you and the Lord more than anyone else is you. You start making your own plans, you start making your own decisions, you start figuring it out on your, you know, on your own, and you're, you're going to be hammered. But if you just trust the Lord, he's going to bless you. I love the portion that says, a man walks, but the Lord guides his steps. In other words, the Lord doesn't want us to just say, I love you, Lord, I love you, Lord, I'm not going to do anything, I'm just going to stand here and love you until you come for me. He's saying, walk, do something, be moving, be but then I'll guide your steps. It's a lot easier, well, this doesn't make uh, any difference for you young people, but there's an old saying that says, it's a lot easier to steer a moving car than a standing car. And years ago, you young people don't even know what I'm talking about, they didn't have power steering. And when you were parked and you turned your car on, you're going to try to pull out, it was literally, you were physically turning the wheels in the ground. But once the car was moving down the highway, it was like, doo, 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 doo. that's where that saying came from. It's easier to steer a moving car than a sitting car. You and I don't want to be sitting. We want to be moving. It's a lot easier for the Lord to direct us when we do that. And so I'd rather walk close to the Lord missing out on satisfying many of the things of the flesh and experience the victory in the Lord than to walk after the flesh and find nothing 
but failure and despair. You know, you think about what's the greatest victory? What's the greatest reward we're looking for? And so often we make a mistake by thinking, well, what I'm looking for is fame and power, you know, and, and, and money and this and that. That's never going to satisfy you because the eye is never satisfied and the stomach's never full. But if you're looking for the peace that comes from being with the Lord, the peace that comes from obeying Him and loving Him, it's free, and you will receive it. That's the greatest reward you can have. You know, there, there is an old song, and, um, I, I, and, and it's way before your time, and, and it went like this. I might not have a barrel of money, I might be ragged and funny, but I travel along singing a song side by side. And that's the thing. You can have all kinds of money, all kinds of power, all kinds of material possessions, and you're miserable. But you might be ragged and funny, but if you're walking side by side with the Lord, you're going to have all kinds of joy. And that's the truth of the matter. You know, in the land of Egypt, um, it's interesting, I told you to pay attention to this one part. <clears throat> the land was watered because it was a flat land. It was watered by the Nile River. They used to dig little canals or trenches, actually canals in and then trenches off from it to water uh, all the crops like a garden. So it required a lot of work. It was works that allowed the crops to grow and so forth. But he's saying, where I'm taking you, it's not like the land of Egypt. He said, where I'm taking you, he said, the rains, the dew is coming down from heaven. And all you have to do is receive it. Do you see what the Lord is speaking to us here? It's not by works. It's not by us trying to do things and that allows us to have a fruitful spirit in the Lord. But it is by literally, simply obeying him, allowing the Holy Spirit to do it. And it's interesting because it, in this it talks about the former and the, and the latter rain. And, um, and let me just read this portion for, first. And it says um, in Revelation 6, 63, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. In Hebrews uh, 9, 27, And it is appointed for men to die once. But after that, this judgment. Well, you might be thinking, what does that have to do with the first verse I read? The Spirit gives life. Because we have to understand life is not about this life. Life's about the life to come. If we're living just to satisfy this life, then our greatest fear is death. Because we're never going to have opportunity to satisfy ourselves. But the reality is, we have a promise after death. You know, there's an old metaphor probably many of you have used or heard over the years, and it goes like this. You can't take it with you. Well, it's true. You can't take any of your material possessions or anything, but I'll tell you what, there is something you can take with you. Your love and obedience to the Lord and the fruit that the Lord has allowed you to bring in for him and for his sake. Stir up for yourself, not gold and treasures, you know, those aren't the things we store up for ourselves. We store up the obedience, our, our desire to follow the Lord. And um, in Matthew 16, 25, it says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You know, you're never going to find peace in this life and in this world without having an understanding of the promise of heaven. You're really not. 
Um, you know, how many times do people try to do this or that or accomplish this or accomplish that or to get this or to get that only to find it's not very long-lasting? I remember Pastor Chuck years ago, He's been with the Lord a long time, but he was given an illustration that when he was a, a new pastor and they lived by um, a lake, and um, he, he and his wife would go there in picnics, and he said, you know, I'd see the motorboats out there, and I'd be thinking, man, I want to have a motorboat. And he said, finally, I saved up the money, and I bought a motorboat. He said, I was out there with my 25 horse, you know, tooling around, just having a great time. He said, then I saw someone with a 75 horsepower that had big waves, you know, big ripples coming off off the side over that thing as they shoot. And he said, I got to have one of those. <laughs> so he saved up and he got one of those and he's driving it around for a while. And then he saw someone with an inboard. And he said, it really hit him. The eye is never satisfied. The stomach's never full. If you're trying to find your peace and reward in this life, you'll never have it. But if you find it in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll have it in full. Now, I want to read this next portion. That's where, where I'll get to the uh, former and latter rain. And it shall come to be that it, this is verses uh, 13 through 17. And it, shall, um, and it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commands, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season. Your early rain and the latter rain that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves. Test your heart. Uh, test your heart. Um, test your heart. Oh, I got to get new glasses. I'm seeing an L. Oh, you know why I see an L there? It is an L. I ex a spell check must, I'm thinking, lest your heart, test your heart, uh, let not your heart be deceived, and, uh, and, and turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut you and shut up the heavens, uh, so that there will be no rain in the land, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. Well, it's interesting because in Israel, those of us who've been to Israel, they have what they call a former and latter rain. And uh, the first rain falls in Judea around November. And that's when they're planting the seeds. And it prepares the soil and waters it and, and, and gets it ready. But then around April, they have a latter rain <coughs> that not only waters the soil, but waters, you know, uh, all the ponds around it and so forth. And that is the rain that allows the crops to grow and, and to just become full and luscious. And that's the promise the Lord is giving. <clears throat> now, it's interesting that whenever the Jews were taken into captivity out of the land or driven out of the land, the former and latter rain stopped. They stopped. And the land would become desolate. <clears throat> Mark Twain, when he... <clears throat> you can look this up on, on YouTube. and uh, Not that you, you have a picture of Mark Twain, but the quote is there. When Mark Twain went to visit the promised land, went to visit Israel, he said... It is the most desolate of land I have seen. He couldn't understand how this could be considered a promised land. Well, the reason was because the Jews weren't there. After World War II, the Jews moved back to the land. And guess what happened 
immediately. I mean, things like this are just amazing. They're miracles of God. The forming of the latter rain began, and Israel blossomed just like God promised it would. Israel, listen, they export flowers to Holland. Israel exports fruit all over the world. Their fruit, if you've ever been there, is just absolutely delicious. If you want to look at something really interesting, go on your computer, get a satellite photograph of the Middle East, and this little speck in the middle of the Middle East is as green as an emerald. And guess what that is? Israel. Well, you can see the correlation that we have. If we're walking with the Lord, if we're walking in the land of promise that God has called us to, we're going to be lush with the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to be useful to the Lord to feed people the truth of God's Word. But if we are the Yaradim and we go down, we turn away from the Lord, we're going to dry up. We're going to be of very little use to the Lord. And so we have to understand it's so important for us to follow the Lord because the harvest is coming. When the Lord takes his church out of the world and our desire should be that that harvest would be as great as possible and that new seed would be left behind. New seed would be left behind for revival. And we have to ask ourselves this. Is our life full of the fruit of the Spirit or the parched land of unfaithfulness? You know what I'm saying? I mean, why do we find it as believers such a hard thing to find time to be alone with the Lord? I mean, if you're a married couple, you still need to have time to be alone with the Lord. I think it's wonderful to have time together to do family devotions, to pray together, but each one of us needs to have time to be alone with the Lord. That's when the Lord speaks to us the most intimately, when we're alone with him. And if we are doing it as some kind of a, a program, you know, oh, this is my new method, it's not going to work. You have to be praying, Lord, give me the desire to be alone with you. And when you have those times, when you're alone with the Lord, and you're reading his word, the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. The, 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 the Lord is going to come upon you and, and encourage you. And it's going to be overwhelming. And don't walk out of your prayer closet or your bedroom and try to tell others how wonderful it was. Because that's just between you and the Lord. Once you try to tell people how wonderful it was, you're ruining the whole thing. It's just between you and the Lord. You know what I'm saying? And so this has been just a great portion of Scripture because it's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Are we receiving the former and the latter rain? Are we really walking in the Spirit? Are we spending time with the Lord? Are we hearing from God? Is His Holy Spirit the one who is giving us the seed of, of faith and truth? Or are we just kind of going, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying that at all. But we're just kind of mishappily walking through the world. You know what I'm saying? You can have an old jalopy with rust all over it and the tire pressure being low that drives. Or you can have a car that's been well taken care of and it's all polished and you know has no rust on it and, and it really moves. 
Well, the illustration I'm trying to make is you can be saved by just kind of plodding along. Or you can be saved and just excited for the things of God. Lord, use me. Show me, Lord, what I can do. Because we're living in a time in history that I don't think the world has ever seen before. I really don't. I mean, I'm 75. My birthday is January 25th. I'll be 76, so mark it on your calendar. And No, I'm just joking. <laughs> the point I'm getting at is I've never seen anything like this, ever. And some of you, you know, I don't know, no, there's probably no one here older than me. But I've never seen anything like this. This world is, is raveling, unraveling, just as Scripture said. It's, it's wearing out. And if there's ever been a time for the people of God to stand for the purpose of God, to do the will of God, it's now. There's never been a time. And so my encouragement to you, my brothers and sisters, is don't be deceived or discouraged by politics, by social events going on, by the immorality that is just permeating our entire world. Don't be discouraged by that. Be encouraged by the fact you belong to Jesus Christ and he's going to use you because the light shines brighter when it's the darkest. Father, thank you so much for your word and for the truth that we find in it. And I pray, Lord, that you would use what we studied this morning to encourage us and to help us walk more closely with you because you alone are worthy of our praise and adoration. And Father, I pray that our focus would completely get off of self and the world and would be just pinpointed on you. And I pray, Lord, you would work this in every one of our hearts. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my friends.